Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Rugby Union Podcast with your host Mark Kennedy. Joined again this week by Liam Breen. Liam Hurtings. Uh, great, Mark. Yeah, it was another smashing uh, weekend of Six Nations action. Absolutely. We'll run the rule over round three of the Guinness Six Nations tournament. I suppose, Liam, we'll start first with the Six Nations. We'll look at the Italian-Irish match in Rome. What were your impressions of this fixture? Very enjoyable, actually, you know. Um, two teams that I suppose really came to play. Italy are certainly proven that they are a team on the up. And um, Ireland, in the end, had a, a very comfortable-looking scoreline, but it certainly wasn't that way through the game. It was like really nip and tuck. But we actually scored some smashing tries, absolutely smashing tries, and um, great support lines, and um, great finishes. So delighted, and also you know all the guys stood up who were supposed to stood up. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was a very enjoyable opener to round three. Fair play to Italy. They gave as good as they got on the day. I thought some of their attacking play was sensational. RBC, a huge plus for them at 10. Capuso as well at 15, really orchestrating well. And uh, Luke Farney as well, really being prominent. But I suppose, Liam, it kind of kicked off straight away, didn't it? With uh, Ireland attacking immediately. Uh, James Lowe nearly getting in in the corner. And that kind of really set the tone for this game, didn't it? I mean, there was an awful lot of line breaks for both teams. And then Lowe's try obviously being disallowed. But then straight away, another significant line break. James Ryan crossing. And I mean, the tone was set really, wasn't it, Liam? Yeah. I suppose that the first thing we can say is in, in terms of just going through all the difference, Lowe probably should have, he really should have scored there, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly set the tone. And then, like, just literally afterwards, Aki, I think, had a fine attacking game. There's absolutely no dispute in that, um, what he brings. And the link play, you know, I mean, the link play from Aki and into low, and then back into inside to Ryan, and that was the opening try. Like, very, just very, very well worked, actually. Great start. Obviously, Ross Byrne in for Johnny Sexton, missed a difficult conversion. And you thought, OK, Ireland's going to consolidate here, but fair play to Italy. I mean, the lead up to Stephen Varney's try on seven minutes, there's some nice interchange passing, particularly in midfield, spreading Ireland defensively to breaking point. That was just a very well, well-worked well score from Italy here, really. As I said, they, 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 they came on with, with Canoni, who, the powerful number eight, who was incredible all even. He had a massive carry pretty much up to the line, you know. Um, but Farney was still, you know, he still was lively to it and, and just p- popped over. And suddenly they got the conversion and they were 5-7 they were up. Or they were, yeah, so excellent. Yeah, no, it was an excellent response from the hosts. And Ireland needing to respond again. Didn't have to wait long here, Liam, did we? Six minutes, uh, Hugo Keenan going in here. Some great work here from Buddy Akai as well on the lead up uh, to this try. Yeah, but again, what I liked is actually Ross Byrne. Ross Byrne made that. He's passing to into Hansen, Hansen away, Aki, and then Keenan somehow <laughs> stepped in and twirled around <laughs> and found himself out of the clutches of the Italians um, to get our, our second try. And yeah, that was actually 
excellent, another excellent work try, really. Italy a little bit on their heels now at this stage. Maybe the first up defensive tackles being exposed a little bit here, given those first two tries for Ireland. But it got better for Ireland seven minutes later. Uh, Bundy Akai playing a 13, uh, crossing here, and more great work here. Intricate passing, creating the overlaps. Just a marvellous try here from Ireland to secure their third try of the afternoon. Yeah, when you when, when you, you know you're really at it when you have your, your flankers pretty, pretty much offloading and, and your centres and wingers basically finishing, then you know you're in a good way. Interestingly, that was also the third, well, almost the fourth try, you could say, down on the left-hand side. So Italy were in all sorts of trouble down that particular corner, actually. Super touchdown from Bundy Akai here, holding off a few Italian tackles to get over here. So, again, all being pretty prominent, to be perfectly fair. Garbisi had kind of put a penalty over just before Bundy Akai's uh, try. So that was a good response from Ireland. 35th minute. Uh, bonus point secured here, Liam. Uh, Matt Hansen uh, on the end of another free-flowing move. So, to be fair, McCluskey absolutely smashing pass. Um, and, yeah, Hansen is continuing his, his impressive scoring rate. Uh, that was the bonus point pretty much uh, at that stage. And all looked well. All looked quite easy going to halftime. Kind of did. Ireland completely on the up. Again, more attacking platform. Now, I have to credit Pierre Bruno just for the anticipation on the game read uh, here. I mean, the pass here between Ross Byrne and Bunny Akai doesn't go to hand, obviously, but it's very much telegraphed. And I have to say credit to the player here, Pierre Bruno, for having the ingenuity to basically identify it and execute and intercept it. And what a tonic for Italy going in at halftime. Unopposed, straight under the pulse, Garbisi with the conversion. And suddenly, it's uh, a one-score game again. To be fair to Bruno, he had some run. Like, I've seen intercept tries, but he had, he was real. He had a long run ahead of him. So, it was an excellent uh, finish. But, yeah, I mean, there you were. Half-time, absolutely nothing in it. And we knew Italy would come out in the second half. And it was kind of going to be squeaky bum time, really, wasn't it? Given the fireworks that ensued in the first half. I thought it was a bit of a cagey opening from both teams. I mean, with penalties here, um, trading pen- teams trading penalties, obviously, Ross Byrne and Garbisi. But um, Italy, again, you know, confidence was kind of seeping through their performance here as the minutes wore on here. They were creating some nice line breaks, Capuso being very pivotal here. And I suppose, as you say yourself, Liam, squeaky bum time. I suppose, can we talk about the Brex Decision to kick in behind. Uh, I thought that was a pivotal moment in the game. Very much kind of just keep the ball in hand here. I think Ireland would have been completely stretched and a try probably to be conceded. But, I mean, that's a poor decision from Brex to 13 for Italy with a try very much glaring. Oh, yeah, very very much. I mean, like you'd have to say that was that was the key, the key turning point in the game, you know. I think at that stage... Italy would have scored and probably would, would have had the momentum and the, and the crowd to, to go ahead and to finish off the game at that stage. There's nothing about it. The Aki try, Aki try disallowed again in the, in, in the corner as well. We, we, had, we had our chances. We're still creating. I think for me, it, it, also crucial in the game was probably Ryan Baird's um, penalty win. That was yeah. absolutely crucial. A time where there was literally four points in it. 
just to get that kind of seven points ahead if the worst came to the worst, you know, <laughs> they'd be kind of level, you know, going to the final quarter. Uh, yeah, Ryan Baird, massive, massive um, impact straight away. Yeah, and I think that goes, goes for everyone else on the bench that came on. This was a game very much in the balance, so you have to credit the players that came on for Ireland. They certainly did a quality job here to maintain standards, and some would argue probably elevate the performance. It was required. I mean, from, let's say, Conor Murray, Ryan Baird, Tom O'Toole having come on fairly early for Finley Bielham, I didn't think put a foot wrong as well here, leaving a tight head. So I think from a squad perspective, another very competitive test match, and the squad seeing to good effect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it goes it's good to seeing that um, Tom O'Toole was excellent when he came on, Baird, and, and, and certainly Murray. And I suppose, look, Mer- Murray's absolutely, I don't know how he got, he kind of squeezed through the, the two Italian defenders and pops it to um, Hansen to finish the game. And it was it was a real moment of, of genius, I'd have to say, from Murray to, to really break the Italians at that stage. Yeah, it just yeah. broke the Italians' hearts, really, didn't it? But, I mean, it, he showed his experience, his composure again. I think that was required. Take nothing away from Greg Casey. I thought it was a very solid performance at nine, along with Ross Byrne at ten. But it needed that experience. It needed that closer to come in, settle things down. And, again, the kicking game for Murray was on point. But, I mean, the Mac Hansen try here, I mean, he, he identifies the gap. And then his identification of Mac Hansen coming on the shoulder, I thought it was just a superb score. And again, for all of it, Italy's efforts here, again, it's that bit of quality, that bit of nose, particularly in the 22, uh, I thought was quite pivotal. And then Hansen goes over for his second try, Ireland's fifth, and probably gave it a bit of a misleading scoreline here, uh, Liam, really 34-20 at the final whistle. But I suppose if you're from the Italian camp here, you have to be immensely proud in terms of the performance I suppose they hate the, this back slapping commentary that I'm given here. But to be fair, you know, Canone here at eight, Garbisi, Capuzzo, Ireland defensively here were put to this pin at her collar here. And I mean, this is really showing an awful lot of evolution here from Kieran Crowley, his coaching staff, but particularly his players. Todd Packwise, as you've alluded to at the start of this podcast here, Liam, were very competitive throughout. Thought the breakout exchange is much more improved than it was against England. So I think overall, Kieran Crowley has an awful lot to work on and be positive about heading into that Welsh game in a week's time. Yeah, we won't give them any like false platitudes. We actually truly believe that they are a side seriously on the up in the next two years. They'll be winning games in the Six Nations. Let there be no doubt about that against against anyone and um yeah onwards and upwards for the italians against against the beleaguer welsh exactly you know there's some outstanding of course pierre bruno 15 carries 155 meters obviously capuso with nine carries 30 meters but it was just his electric pace his creativity padovani i think we have very much a nucleus here of a quality back three menace cello as well very much prominent here and again, you're kind of looking down through everything. I think Cannonone has been an outrageously good find here at eight. We compare that now to the likes of Rusa here as well, Lamaro. There is an awful lot of good, good stuff going on here from an Italian perspective. But I suppose if we go to the Ireland perspective here, I think this was a good game. It was a good game for Andy Farrell to really see some of these players up close and personal. 
particularly players that mightn't be seen as regulars here. And to be fair to Ireland, they had moments here where they had to respond. I think they certainly did that across the pitch here, probably starting, you know, in terms of our front five, but also our three quarters as well, which, um, you know, it was an unfamiliar combination here, uh, Stuart McCluskey and Bundy Akai. But creativity-wise, you know, we learned an awful lot about uh, our three quarters here and also our pack in the process. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, there's nothing about it. I mean, our halfbacks had excellent games. Um, certainly Byrne has, once again, if he didn't have to already, he's confirmed that he's the second choice. Casey, excellent uh, service, excellent delivery. He's certainly there, thereabouts for, for the bench. And yeah, as I said, offensively, you know, I thought that Aki had a, an unbelievable game, quite frankly. And then you had Lowe and Hansen are just like tri-scoring machines. And, and Keenan is the best fullback in the Six Nations, potentially the world. So, I mean, everything everything is flying at the moment. We have like a probably the most impressive backline play that we've ever had, uh, that, I, that I can actually recall. And then we have these narrowed forwards. And I would include James Ryan. I mean, in the Six Nations, Ryan has been a real dog, you know, in, in, in his grunt work. Then, of course, we have that, that free-flown, all-passing, all-dancing back row. So everything is working, you know? And and just go back to, 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 to scrummaging, too. I mean, look, if you can do well against Italy in scrummaging, you know you can do well against anyone. And certainly impressed with Tom O'Toole in his, in his cameo. Absolutely. I think Ronan Keller as well, a notable highlight. He started the game ahead of Dan Sheehan. Didn't think put a foot wrong here. Liam, to be fair, I thought he was solid in terms of set piece, execution and line out. Provided a threat from ball carrying as well. Retook the game to Italy, particularly on our tapping goals. So I suppose from that perspective, that's a huge bonus for Andy Farrell. I'd also kind of, as I said, complimented the bench impact that came on here. The likes of Ryan Baird, Peter Armani came on. I thought he was huge as well, wasn't he? In terms of his work rate, his tackle count. Uh, it was good to see likes of Jimmy O'Brien, uh, Crowley coming in as well. Kilcoyne comes in, typical Kilcoyne performance here, very abrasive ball carrying, and overall great work rate. So I think from an Irish perspective, an awful lot of questions were asked by this Italian side here. Maybe some may have thought unexpectedly, but I think you have to credit Italy here. I've heard an awful lot of media in terms of the three quarters and the synchronization between James Law, but I think you have to give enormous credit to Italy here just in terms of how they devised their attacking schemes, their attacking lines. It was all very well executed, I thought, and I don't really care in terms of whatever three quarters were there. There were going to be posed problems from a very talented Italian side. I think we've seen it since last November here, Liam, the evolution of this Italian attacking play, and it certainly came to the party on last Saturday. Yeah, and I, I suppose it, look, it's been, it, it, it boils an awful lot down to the Benetton, Treviso, because they make us such... Such a key proportion of the team, Italian rugby. You know, these are all young players. They're all coming together at the same time, and uh, and that cycles for you, and, and sometimes almost like a general generational um, change. And, and Italian rugby is very much on the up. Absolutely, and I, you know, we can talk about the under twenties as well a little bit. I thought that was a fantastic game on Friday night. Ireland did win. But I mean, I think the scoreline maybe is a little bit misleading here in terms of the Italian under-20s. There seems to be an awful lot of talent coming through the youth ranks, the youth academy. So all that underage structure, 
the identification of players is really coming home to roost here, Liam. I think it's very exciting times here for Italian rugby. I generally do so. But um, I think from an Ireland perspective, again, unfortunately, we have to talk about an injury. And I suppose Finley Beelham, he's twisted knee. It's massively bad luck for Finley Beelham, just given his consistent standout performances for both province of Connacht and also Ireland here in recent weeks. But I suppose the opportunity knocks here a little bit. I think news that Tyke Furlong is getting back into full training. But it's a huge blow for Finley Beelham here, just given the time of year that we're in here. And hopefully this knee prognosis won't be a long-term injury for him. Coming to the end of the Six Nations, where he was going to be certainly involved all the way. And then in terms of the URC and, and the lead in and to European uh, Challenge Cup as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think he'll be back in about two or three months. So he'll be, he'll be back for probably the... Um, in, in the autumn just for those pre-World Cup games and, and I, I certainly wish him the best but look Tom O'Toole what a chance for him now you know Massive. I mean I mean, we really are going to be, get tested in terms of uh, our depth there and, and you know we have that we have the depth we have those three we have John Ryan you know I mean it's there is there's plenty of squad depth there now I suppose you can throw in the likes of Salanoa there as well he's been kind of in the fringes of the training camp here for Ireland so, you know, we did call at the start of this Six Nations team. I'm, I'm chuckling here, but the depth chart for the tight head prop, but I didn't think we were going to go down this deep, to be perfectly fair. But uh, I think, take nothing away from Tom O'Toole, he's two cameos so far in the Six Nations have been standout. They have been very solid, you know, hasn't put a foot wrong. So, I mean, Tyke Furlong's only just coming back to full fitness. So, I think the argument here is Tom O'Toole starts against Scotland and Murrayfield. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, I mean, the Scottish uh, front row, like just they're in, enormous. So it's going to be some test in general for Ireland. It could be the making of Tom O'Toole at, at this level. He has said before this Italian game that he's had to bide his time. He's been in training camps. He's been with the squad for a few years and was anxious to really impress. And he's certainly doing that. And I think we should be a little bit more reassured in terms of our tight head prop situation, I suppose. Just given, you know, the likes of John Ryan, uh, particularly with the Chiefs and on New Zealand. Again, they had an incredible win against the Crusaders and John Ryan had good quality minutes. So he'll come back into the reckoning when he's back with Munster Rugby. So, so I know there's quite a few other guys here that will be kind of chomping at the bit here to get an opportunity if uh, need be. But again, we've Scotland and also England here to come here, uh, Liam, from an Aaron perspective. And certainly our front row is certainly going to be tested massively in terms of our scrumming and our lineout. I suppose we can probably move on to the Principality Stadium. I suppose the backdrop had been about Welsh rugby in complete turmoil from an administration perspective. The threat of the strike didn't materialise. I suppose England got the job done 2010 here. Um, I suppose what's your overall impressions of this England win? And I suppose from a second question here, do you feel that Wales have enough quality to beat Italy based on what we've seen last weekend? You know, I mean, England at the end of the day, they did score three tries to one for Wales. You know what I mean? Like so, it was it was a bit more comfortable. You know, in the end, you'd also have to say Owen Farrell. I think he missed something like ten or twelve points as well in terms of kicks. I mean, they really, you know, it could have been a right shellacking. It was there was nothing in it at half time really. You know, it was like three points in it, and and so obviously England in the second half. You know, they again they go they, they play to their strengths, they played to the forwards, um and that's exactly what they did. 
it was kind of a mixed bag from an England perspective. They certainly had good stand-up moments here. I mean, they started the game pretty much on the front foot. Anthony Watson, after 19 minutes, being recalled, you know, got a very good try. We also had the penalty from Owen Farrell to open the game up here. So it was 10 points on the board within the first quarter. So you thought, yeah, I mean, England have a good platform here. They're taking the oxygen a little bit out of the Welsh crowd. But I suppose you'll probably point here a little bit in terms of that Lewis Rees-Samet try on 41 minutes. I mean, it was a complete lapse in defensive shape here from England straight after the kickoff. And I suppose that will be a worry, particularly for Kevin Sinfield, the defensive coach, how easy Rhys Samet could actually get a try uh, from his halfway line. Yeah, it was. I suppose, look, it was a kind of an intercept try there um, and brought Wales back into the game when, when they, they weren't really at it. So for Sinfield overall, I thought the England were quite comfortable in terms of the Welsh attack, to be fair, you know what I mean? You, get, you you might get one point of that in the game, but I thought England actually were were quite strong defensively, and and Sinfield should be happy with just I suppose the clear progression that's happening. Absolutely, because I think from a Welsh perspective here, you know they get their noses in front, but it didn't take long, did it, for England to reassert dominance here. I thought the pack again. It's all about the England pack for me. It's a quality unit already, and it just needs a few kind of tweaks in terms of the half-back and also backline here. Again, Kyle Sinclair was very prominent throughout. On 45 minutes, crash is over. Wales are immediately on the back foot. And as you say, from an attacking Welsh perspective, nothing really materialised. I mean, from a line breaks perspective, only four clean breaks in 18 minutes. That's not going to win you a test match here, Liam, is it? No, it's not. And I mean, look, Mason Grady was was picked, you know, in midfield, I suppose, instead of George North. And you had Rhys Samet back and you had a half penny, but it just it's not clicking really there. You know, I think a lot of it is that the the, the, the platform, the forwards, you know, isn't um, isn't there. And then look, they had kind of a new halfback partnership as well, you know. And yeah, it's just um, they're not creating any opportunities, which is which is probably the most worrying thing of all, really. Yeah, I mean, you look at the scrummaging here, Liam. I thought England completely dominated. We had fears about this front five for Wales. I think it materialised. Six out of eleven scrums won by Wales. Fifty-four percent from a Test match level perspective. You're not going to win many games here as well. I think you're getting a team here in terms. Of, I think Wales to a man delivered a very brave performance, but I just felt here the lead up to the game, I think there's clear cohesion issues in terms of what Warren Gatland and the coaching staff need to impart to the players on pitch because, again, there was too many kicks, hopeful aerial kicks looking for a coughed up ball from England's back three. It never materialised. I think, to be fair to Wales, it was kind of in the melting pot for quite a while up until Ollie Lawrence's try in 75 minutes. And I thought Ollie Lawrence, if Steve Borwick can take anything away from Six Nations already, I think it's the emergence probably of Ollie Lawrence here. Again, he had a very prominent role in terms of his carries, 12 uh, carries for 42 metres was very prominent. And I think, to be fair, Liam, a guy that England could probably build an attacking platform uh, from, particularly in the three quarters. Yeah, um, certainly. Look, I hadn't heard much of him before the Six Nations, but he certainly is. I suppose now at this stage they're they're leading back and their main attacking threat. 
scoring his try, but he also was was very effective winning penalties as well. In terms of Six Nations, he's been one of their, their standout backs, I'd have to say. Yeah, I think he's just, you know, physically abrasive, ball in, ball in hand, I think, you know, his great pace, great power. Tackling-wise, you know, he hasn't been found wanting either, to be perfectly fair. I mean, nine tackles again uh, for Lawrence. So, I mean, a guy who's kind of really consolidating his place in the starting lineup. Todd Henry Slade, you know, 13. I think that'll be just a nice little watch between those two guys. I suppose the likes of Malins, Freddie Stewart as well, I thought was quite prominent with ball in hand as well when he got it. Um, 71 metres from 16 carries. But I think Malins as well kind of came into it a little bit in the last 10 minutes when Wales, tired and England were prepared to actually throw the ball around a little bit. So I think there is some grounds for optimism here, but I suppose it's all lining up for the number 10 jersey debate. I suppose news today that Marcus Smith has been dropped from the training camp from England. Probably expected return of George Ford. I think it's really showing me, Liam, that Steve Borwick still is very undecided in terms of who his long-term number 10 is going to be here. Yeah, he certainly, he certainly is. Like That is he's, that he's basically starting 10, first choice 10, three games you know, ago at the start of the Nations, is now not even making the squad. Now, I think we had actually discussed about the great George Ford come, come back, <laughs> that he could actually end up eventually, you know, being the 10, you know, with, with, with maybe... Farrell really competing more so for for centre and um, and the likes of Slade and I I still think that that is an option as well for for England you know they've now found a, a good centre partnership but they still need to get, get that flow going in terms of number ten and even like a bit I could see him making a big bench impact in the remaining two games. Yeah, I think that's going to be an intriguing watch just to see where Steve Borwick goes when on the ten. Jersey front, I suppose. Farrell, you could probably argue for a little bit more structured, you know, kind of uh, provided a bit more game management than maybe Marcus Smith, who's very dynamic in his attacking play. I suppose Ford will give you that as well. So I think it'll be intriguing just to see how that goes. I mean, obviously, kicking off tea. Uh, Owen Farrell had a complete off day. Uh, there's no way of skirting around it. It was a poor afternoon for him. And as you said, Liam, this scoreline should have been far greater than the 10-point win. So it'll remain to be seen what happens here. I suppose from Marcus Smith's perspective, he can go back to his club Harlequins. He can go focusing on his club form, his performances. He hasn't been getting any game minutes in the last few weeks. So I think it's good for him to get game minutes. I think very much like a Joey Carberry case study in Ireland. Come back. You know, really kind of put it up to Borwick and Sinfield that this is a guy in top form and really contend come uh, end of the season here. So I think it'll be an intriguing match, but I still think this England pack is going to take an awful lot of stopping, particularly when they come to the Viva on the final round of games here, Liam. Yeah, look, it's, it's all building and, and, and they're going to time it well uh, to look, it's going to be an absolutely cracking game. And again, it's, it's in World Cup here. We have two games now where you know, we're in almost like World Cup conditions. We're going to be in Murrayfield against a, a team really that's going to be driving for the win. And then we're going to be playing England at home. I mean, just perfect preparation for the World Cup. It just get, gets better and better, really. I think it does. It Again, when you compare to France, Italy, Scotland, I think, to be honest, they're very attacking orientated sides, pretty much playing on the front foot. I think from this England perspective, it's going to be the sheer physicality of England here particularly on their ball carrying, which will be 
and also their set piece is going to be the main test here from an Ireland perspective and I think it's going to be intriguing watch just to see how Ireland measure up in terms of the physicality particularly in a World Cup they're going to be facing uh, South Africa here uh, Liam so I think this will be a true asset test in terms of our squad being depleted as well here you know I know we're probably getting a few senior guys back likes of uh, Tyke Furlong uh, Robbie Henshaw but the fact of the matter is England are going to come to Ireland here again they'll have their fixture against France in round four I think that'll be another barometer gauge just to see how this England team has evolved you know the bye week again this week how they will evolve their game plan against the old enemy here so I think from that perspective England are coming to probably the Viva probably with more confidence coming in I suppose from a Welsh perspective here where do we start here Liam I mean I think we've talked here in terms of our, the front five Again, the nine ten partnership, are they gonna is Gatlin gonna even retain that? I suppose Bigger does come back in. I mean, there's a key game here against Italy and Rome in a week's time. Another loss here, and I mean confidence will be through the floor, I would think, at this stage for Wales. Yeah, and um, and straight away, like I'll have to say I'm t- I'm tipping Italy, very much so. On the evidence of the three games that, that, that they've played so far. I mean I mean we Wales there's no justification on Wales even Try get getting getting the victory. Um, I think that the, the problem is now for them. I suppose the worry is, okay, their halfbacks were terrible at the weekend, but their halfbacks were also quite poor previously. So I mean, like, what what are you doing? Dropping players who are not informed for other players not informed. It's like, it's yes, it's it's just hard to to figure out really. Um, I would say Toby Falatau. I give him honourable mention. I thought he was he was excellent. That's that's about it though. That's that's about all he can say. So they don't have a huge amount of players, you know, that they can interchange or or spring. Um, but again, it's more a case at this stage that he'll have to find Gatland an effective game plan for the player, the limited players that he has. Yeah. Well, I suppose to do that, he needs a, a good quality front five to provide a solid platform. He just doesn't have it at the moment. You know, we're three games in here, uh, Liam. Body of evidence is that this is a front five from Wales that can be got at, particularly at scrum time. And that is affecting other manner of play. I kind of felt so sorry for, in terms of uh, Tomas Williams and Owen uh, Williams here, to be thrust into it. Fact of the matter is, if you're not getting quality front football here, it's going to be very hard from a 9 and 10 to really affect the game. I think so approved. And I think even the squad impact here off the bench, I thought it was... You know, you could say maybe Bigger did steady things down a little bit. Hardy as well came in. But again, there was particularly front row, Badley Roberts, Rhys Carr, Dylan Lewis again. There was a few penalties here in that um, that front row kind of replacement chart. Uh, Riffle tried hard, but again, there was no real impact. Nick Topkins probably was probably the standout off the bench, but you're needing another five or six guys off the bench to really make an impact here, Liam. Liam, and I'm just trying to wonder here and identify other players that are not in this 23-man squad who could actually provide it. Maybe Tane Basham, maybe potentially uh, Moriarty or something like that. But again, I'm struggling for names here. Yeah, that, that, that's, about, that's about all the, the, the two guys that would come to mind. So, yeah, it's, it's look, it's going to get rock bottom, I think, in the Six Nations. I think, I think they're going to finish the bottom of the table going through the World Cup. They're now, what, 10th in the world. They've lost 12 of their last 15 games. Really, you know, probably looking at, at under 20 level, not much coming through compared to any of their four nations, really. 
So it's, it's yeah, and then the rumours this week that players have been asked to take pay cuts, you know, of almost 150 to 200,000 pay cuts, you know. Some guys been offered, you know, for 40 grand, you know, which is kind of like, okay, the, I suppose it's the working wage, you know, but it's, it's for a, a rugby player, it's it's not huge. So it's, um, yeah, we'll see how it, how it develops now in the next two weeks, but that's going to be hanging over the players as well, I guess. Well, I suppose the 60 cap rule has been reduced, hasn't it, down? But again, when players' terms are being slashed to that extent, I can see an awful lot of clubs like Vultures here looking at the Welsh regions and really plucking an awful lot of the top talent from Wales in England, France, I would say even URC, I would say as well here, even from South Africa, even Super Rugby perspective, because I don't see too many of the established Welsh players really staying around if that's the level of terms and conditions that are being offered right now. I think that it was the Cardiff Rugby case study, wasn't it? Certain guys there are well established, and I don't think the even the executive really went to those players. I think it would be an insult to the players to basically offer that sort of terms and conditions, given what they're currently on at the moment. So I think it's going to get a whole lot worse here for Welsh rugby before it gets better. And as you said about the under-20s of Wales, again, they're zero for three. Again, it's been very barren in terms of any success at, uh, success at that level. So I think... You combine that with the regions, URC is a barometer in terms of how professional rugby is going in Wales. It's not going according to plan at the moment. You could maybe say Ospreys from a European Cup perspective, but there's an awful lot of teams languishing in the bottom half of the URC as well. So that kind of ascent of, of performance in the Welsh team now is no longer there. The squad that does not seem to be there at the moment. And I think from Rowan Gatland, as you say, it's going to be tinkering here until he can get maybe a 23-man squad that he truly trusts so I think tough times ahead for uh, Wales but I suppose England kind of second win in a row they're a work in progress but again I think a team to have to be enormously respected here going down the stretch here I think they still have an outside chance of a Six Nations Championship glory Liam we might then go to Sunday uh, France versus Scotland in Paris what an incredible opening 10 minutes of rugby here yeah, our, our opening 20 minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it looked as if it was going to be all over um, between the tries and, and everything else. But look, I mean, you know, Intimac, pretty much from the off, went over Ramos. Again, ridiculous conversion altogether, you know. But then I suppose the, the crucial thing was, was the red car for, for Gilchrist. Now, was it... You know, the people could be mitigating circumstances. No, it was basically another one of these, like pretty much shoulder into into head, and and for me, a definite red card. And and at that stage, you'd be kind of thinking, this is this is going to be a a long afternoon for for Scotland. The restart at the start of the game, I did notice that Gilchrist basically tackled in that kind of directional angle, and was kind of medium to high. So when this incident happened on seven minutes, it did look pretty innocuous. But look, I think with TMOs now, again, the reaction of the crowd as well, it had to go TMO. I mean, again, I'm not sure in terms of red cards. Uh, there's been so many instances of this in the last few weeks here, Liam. I really couldn't comment. But the officials, they looked at it, sending off here. And I thought Gilchrist, particularly in the front five, such a massive cog for both Edinburgh and also for Scotland. That This was a huge loss. I know Johnny Gray basically comes on. Who's a very able deputy, but I mean, for a complete workhorse engine 
Grant Kilchrist was probably the one player that they didn't want to get sent off in that front five and so approved. So, I mean, it was a pretty um, arduous task here from Scotland. I mean, they were rattled already from the Roman and to Mac Troy. And then after eight minutes, the second try kind of goes over and very free-flowing move from France, exploiting that 40-man uh, Scotland uh, defence here. Yeah, but I mean, uh, DuPont uh, with an amazing long loop pass that really meant that for Demortier. And yeah, it, it was looking ominous at that stage. But then I suppose, you know, um, we also had a sending off for, for France, which was even more ridiculous, I have to say. Complete headbanger moment. It's a red card all day long. I don't know what the prop is actually thinking about here, but it's as easy a red card you'll you'll officiate all year. Yeah, yeah, it was it was head to head, but apparently Galtier has now said that uh, he is uh, off. He's finished with him in terms of international rugby. He won't be picked for France as long as Galtier is now the the coach. So that's the end for him. Hanois. How is yeah. Yeah, he has had a disciplinary issue, a history here with France. Uh, remember, he got another red card, didn't he? And a few sin bins as well in his career with France. So I suppose Galtier's patience is worn off. He needs to be looking now more into the depth chart. And it gives it, it gives Scotland a chance. That's, you know, it gives them an opportunity to kind of reset here. I thought the start of the show here, I know there was DuPont, there was Entomac, but I think Thomas Ramos, I think, just showed how world-class a fullback he actually is I suppose he stats 11 carries 152 meters two clean line breaks but I suppose that 19 minute intercept it kind of showed me everything about his strengths his game reading his execution of the intercept pass and his pace then to basically get over it was just an incredible score and you know three tries on the board for France at that stage it looked very ominous for Scotland didn't it but I mean Ramos just showing that he's one of the best fullbacks in the world right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, when you're 19 and up, it's looking comfortable. And then it's just a question of, you know, uh, when is it that the bonus try going to be scored? But actually, funny enough, after that, that's when uh, Russell started pulling the strings. For I would say for pretty much the remainder of the game, he was like on fire. He got Jones away to um, go um, get a try back uh, and, and actually in our, in our excellent conversion so it was certainly 19-7 I felt when it got 19-0 I think Scotland relaxed a bit I thought again like the Welsh game they started very tentatively and we'd warned this last week on the podcast that if Scotland were going to start a bit tepid a bit on the back foot that they would be punished I think 19-0 after 20 minutes kind of proves my point but I think Scotland just basically relaxed. And as you say, um, Russell pulling the strings. I thought Hugh Jones was outstanding as well at three quarters. And I think they have a very formidable three quarters here, uh, Scotland. And I mean, Hugh Jones will get the plaudits with the two tries. But I think his partnership here, again, was very good. I mean, with Finn Russell, just line breaks being created here. And perfectly fair for Hugh Jones. I think he went 138 uh, metres uh, during the game. So again, it was a very good performance of Hugh Jones, but again, it just shows the potency of Scotland here, particularly in open play. Yeah, but, but I mean, like Jones and and Tupelo too, like just, yeah. just they're huge. They're actually huge, colossal uh, centres. And Scotland now, yeah, they have a different excellent backline. 
Jones, yeah, he, he's fourteen. He's got fourteen tries, so he he's got a got a good try scoring record for a centre as well. But I suppose so. Ramos got a, a penalty there to to bring it back to twenty two seven. Then at half time, I suppose uh, scoreline at half time here, Liam. Again, you never really got a, a sense that Scotland were out of this, and given their second quarter emergence, and I suppose uh, Hugh Jones again after good work again by Finn Russell on 48 minutes, really kind of bringing this game back into the melting pot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, suddenly it was game on um, and you felt that the, the next quarter would be crucial. And uh, yeah, so then basically we're looking at Ramos. You did add a, 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 a second penalty just to, to calm, calm the, the French back again, just to kind of get them, inch them ahead until Russell again, had a bit of magic there in the 68 minute get going over a lovely try actually yeah super try wasn't it I mean he's playing at the peak of his powers at the moment isn't he uh, Liam I mean what a threat with ball in hand and you know really just kind of put this game right in the melting pot doesn't it I mean some of the French locals getting very nervy at this stage with about 12 minutes to go and I think the game could have gone any way here I just feel a little bit like the other particularly the England or the Ireland Italy game Maybe scoreline's a bit flattering here for France, but again, you have to give them credit. You know, particularly their bench impact off the bench, uh, particularly on the pack, really did secure a good platform for Gail Fiku to go over on the 88th minute. So for Scotland, so close yet so far in terms of the three tries, but again, not even getting a loser bonus point, I think would be a bit of a disappointment for Gregor Townsend on the side, given how well they showed from the second quarter on here. Yeah, and and in the, in that last ten minutes, I mean, there's a number of times where like France would be would be camped on the line, and Scotland would get turnovers, get penalties, but they 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 give the ball right back. I think that was probably a thing for Scotland, which was disappointing. They never got themselves upfield in good field position in that last ten minutes when there was literally nothing in it to actually really go for the win. They just kind of basically let France control the ball in that period France in, with with their always with their huge like impact they were always going to um, have a good chance of getting that try and you say Gelfico with Berlin got it to put a complete gloss it has to be said on the scoreline there was no way that there was anything like 11 points or, or more in it I think it was to be fair to Scotland you know it was a gallant effort I think they come out of the game with enormous credit just how they responded after 19 minutes here. I think other teams would have folded quite badly against France in Paris. French crowd in the mood, but I mean the fact that, that they had the French locals so nervy going into that final quarter, real testament, I think, to Scotland and how they've evolved their resiliency. And they will be a live threat, certainly for Ireland and Murrayfield in a week's time here, Liam. Yeah, they certainly will. But look, like, like there's nothing really, I know some of the scoreline lies, but there's nothing between certainly I would say even including Italy in this between say four of the teams anyway or, or, or five of the teams at this stage which which bodes very well for for the World Cup for all those sides as well you know I mean we have Scotland in our World Cup group you know at the time it looked like quite frankly a very winnable and easy fixture and um, nothing like that now you know you have three real sides in that group now uh, to qualify out of, out of the out of that stage, 
Scotland, you know, would want to lay down a marker basically for the World Cup and, and put a sort of a real doubts in Irish minds that they can um, really, you know, I suppose, get out of the group basically. Whereas with, with us, it, it would be absolutely massive if we win and got a, a significant victory against Scotland and took a bit of wind off of their sails. You know, suddenly they would have lost two games in a row going to the final game and different complexions. So it's there's, there's a lot to play for really. Chance for Scotland to win a triple crown here, at least, at the very least, they can beat Ireland on Sunday week. So there is plenty of motivation for Scotland. They will propose an awful lot of threats, particularly ball in hand. We've talked about Finn Russell, talked about Hugh Jones. We haven't talked about Stuart Hogg here, uh, Klein, uh, Duhan van der Merve as well. So, I mean, they have potency. Looking down through their 23-man squad here, there's no real weak link here. Whereas before, maybe traditionally, you could maybe have picked holes a little bit in terms of front five. Certainly none of that now. Um, so I think from an Ireland perspective, they're going to have to bring their A game here, particularly to Murrayfield. Uh, I think a few of those defensive mishaps that happened against Italy can't be let happen here because with Finn Russell at the controls here, it could be a long afternoon for Ireland. Yeah, and they've got some serious, serious bench impact now, you know. When you look at the likes of Johnny Gray and Fraser Brown, Sam Skinner, the ex-Wallaby, Jack Dempsey, Ali Price, you know, suddenly <laughs> they were really powerful 23-man squad there anyway. They, look, they're, they're, going, they're going to aim for the win, and as you said, they have the sugar crown at the very least to to actually win back. And it'll be a heaving in Borough, and it's going to be a tremendous uh, test for Ireland again. Oh, yeah, it's another. It's going to be another excellent test for Ireland, particularly going for three for three here. Scotland, I think, instead of being deflated here, I think come out of the French game with a bit more confidence. I think they've strung together an awful lot of phases played the best of the tournament so far from Scottish perspective. It might have been reflected on the scoreboard here in an 11-point loss, but I think just the backdrop to this and how the game emerged... I think they come into this Ireland game probably full of confidence here. They didn't feel that they can mix it against the big boys after seeing what France and Ireland produced a few weeks ago. They certainly mixed against France for long periods here. So, I mean, Ireland beware, I suppose, from a French perspective. Again, probably a workman-like performance here. They had to soak up an awful lot of pressure, particularly in second and third quarter here. But I suppose the plus here for Fabien Galtier is that final quarter, as you said here, uh, Liam, just in terms of how the game managed, they were playing in the right areas of the park here. And to get the bonus point and to deny Scotland the loser bonus point, I think was quite key here and sets France up very well for an intriguing clash with England and Twickenham. Yeah, the crunch happening next. So again, I mean, some people have said this year now that France it hasn't quite hit the heights of last season, the Grand Slam season. Would that would be sort of a concern maybe for French supporters heading into the World Cup? We have England again, you know, you know, improving with every game, so it's going to be a very hard game to call, a very intriguing game. I think it's going to be in our serious physical contest, and again, look, every Six Nations weekend has just thrown up some tremendous contests. Oh, absolutely agree, Liam, and I think this will be one. Because, I mean, France, how did they approach this? I think the pack battle with England will be absolutely fascinating. We'll have a preview on this next week. But it's just a pack battle here. Like, who's going to get the front football here? Could be a distinct 
styles here. You know, England being very structured versus France trying to play very much uh, attacking on front football here, uh, really looking to expose England defensively here with multiple line runners. So, but I suppose the pleasing thing for France here as well was probably conditioning of the players. Maybe there was a bit of a critique after the Ireland game that Ireland wore France down, but it certainly you can look at some of the statistics here on the t- tackles made, particularly like Sofiku, 15 tackles, Bafana, 10 tackles, yeah, Entomac and Dupont combined for 25 tackles combined here, Liam. From a halfback test match partnership, I think it's incredible. Marshon, 16 tackles. Flamand, 15. Philomsa, 10. Olivion, 16. And my, I think, guy that's very underrated with France Cruz came in for Geelong, 12 tackles and completely solidified the back row when he came in. So I think from a French perspective here, I think it's a confidence boosting performance. They got a good test off Scotland and they move on and they do have harbour Six Nation ambitions going into the last two games, which is uh, what Fabian Gatte and his management staff would have wanted coming out of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And in some respects, you know, the, the, the game as good as they got against Ireland just came out narrowly at the, at, at, at the edge of that scoreline. And maybe in some respects got the monkey off their backs by, by you know, not having this huge winning run as well. So um, yeah, but as you said, look, there's there's huge amount of positives for France when you come out of a test match like that and on the wrong side or the right side, should I say? They have so much talent. I mean, you know, both full back, you have Ramos, you have Jaminet, and then you have such quality in terms of the the back three as well, in terms of the the wingers. It's yeah, it's it's um, they're going to have a very strong squad for the World Cup. I suppose the thing is they they could come down to the final weekend and and actually win the championship, you know, because we have England. Uh, as far as I know, France are probably going to be the Welsh. Be the Welsh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like realistically, <laughs> it's it's big big time on for them to win the championship as well. Exactly. Uh, I think that's a fair assessment. I think it's, uh, you know, it's kind of setting things up fairly well, but I think round four will be very intriguing as well. I think you have a number of games there which have an awful lot of subplots, so we'll definitely review that next week, uh, Liam. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you liked what you heard in this podcast, why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Sidekick on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.